0: This is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together, we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. If you're a ministry worker or someone who devotes a lot of time to volunteering in the church, I think it's easy to sometimes operate under this assumption that everyone who comes out to our programming sees the church as the center of their lives. For some people, that's true, uh, but for a lot of people, I think the thing that really dominates their thinking and influences their action, it's the thing that gives them stress or the thing that brings them a lot of joy, what, what really is the, system, is the system at the center of that is family. We tend to think of people as individuals, we live in an individualistic culture, but the truth is that individuals are are part of systems in most cases, and, and the system that's at the center of their life is their family. Our guest today, Dr. Jim Burns, has spent a lot of time thinking and writing about family systems, and today he's going to talk with us about a critical question, it's this, how can parents of adult children influence them for Christ? We we dialed on into the very question of what if our adult kids aren't walking with Jesus? What can we do to reach out to them? I think this question is one that a lot of people are asking, and it's one that if you're a leader, you need to be helping people answer. This conversation will help you do that. Well, I'm sitting with Dr. Jim Burns. He's the president of Homeward. Uh, Homeward Ministries helps parents raise godly children. Uh, Dr. Jim, I'm glad to have you here on the podcast with me. Adam, great to be with
1: you. I'm looking forward to it and love what you guys are doing. Yeah, thank you. It's exciting. And we, hey, we have a a mutual connection. Uh, Kevin Harney, I know, I go all the way back to him being in high school when he was just still a high school kid and uh, how he became a Christian and kind of involves me and I followed his ministry and love what he does. And now I hear he's a mentor in your life and you're fortunate to have mentors like him.
0: Absolutely, actually, we're, we're super blessed. Uh, Kevin, Kevin on our, uh, when he was on the podcast just a few few weeks ago, actually shared the story of being on a houseboat and receiving Jesus Christ and saying uh, saying he was gonna give his life to, to God and, and serve him in ministry and I just found out that that uh, Jim you're the one who actually started that ministry. Which yeah, we is
1: incredible. Started, we started the ministry and as I was saying, I was speaking in Grand Rapids one day, Kevin gives that testimony and I went I had I got chills on running up and down my back because you know, you do ministry yeah. and you put your heart, soul, mind, money, <laughs> time <laughs> and you you know, you don't always know. And uh, yeah. to hear that little testimony that he gave a long time ago was really a blessing. So I was just going up to speak. So I was going to be funny in front of a bunch of kids. And all of a sudden I'm like all you know, choked up. About to cry. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's kind of like, you know, the parable of the sower. You throw the seed, you don't always get to right. see the harm. Right, right. Man, that's awesome.
1: Can you just, just for those of, uh, uh,
0: who listen to our podcast, who might not be familiar with your ministry background, would you just share a little bit about uh, your ministry background, your ministry passion and what you're doing right, right now? And what sure. is home?
1: Well, Homeward, uh, the organization that I work with, uh, has four values, strong marriages, confident parents, healthy leaders, and empowered kids. And so all of our content, we're the largest provider of parenting seminars in the United States, all of our content that way, uh, also through books, writing, uh, our podcast, those things are all related to those issues. My background was youth ministry. Um, never thought I would probably um, <laughs> do anything but youth ministry. But as, a, as I got older, I realized, you know, I could probably help parents as well. So I started focusing more on parents. In fact, Doug Fields, who a lot of people know in the youth ministry world, was in my youth group, but he also was an intern for me one time. I used to say, you know, it'd be wouldn't it be better if these parents who are dropping the kids off and then going to brunch or, you know, dinner at night, wouldn't it be better if the kids drop the parents off and we help these parents? Because they really are a mess. (laughs) Now prophetically, that's kind of how I spend most of my time trying to help parents help their families, you know, the There's a phrase we have at Homeward that says, when you reach the family, you reach the world. And right in line with what you guys do in thinking about outreach, truly, I think one of the best and most effective ways to reach um, a a world, whether they're Christian or not, Christian, um, conservative, liberal, whatever, they all care for their, their family. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we can help families succeed, that's kind of our big phrase is helping families succeed. That's what we try to do.
0: Well, that's where the Great Commission really starts. Yeah. Uh, it's with, with your own family, with you're your right. own children. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and hasn't that been a little bit of a shift? Kind of, I mean, if you go from the 1970s, uh, you know, kind of the birth of a lot of, of youth ministry, obviously God has done so much through that, tons of fruit. But also, it's, am I right that there's been an increasing emphasis on saying we got to see these kids not just as individuals that we target, but
1: as members of a system? Right, exactly. And, you know, I, I'm old enough uh, to remember those 1970s. I became a Christian in 1971. I wasn't raised in the church. Kevin and I actually okay. went to the same church, different time period during <laughs> that time. And, um, and, you know, so I've, I was kind of raised through the uh, really cool youth specialties years and things like that. And I happened to be privileged to be on their team and whatnot. And I watched God move in youth ministry uh, here in the United States and then around the world. Well, what I'm so fortunate to be a part of is is watching now us move from kind of youth ministry to what I would call partnering with parents or more yeah. of a, a family-friendly influence. And I really think that's uh, a wave of the spirit. And I'm seeing mm-hmm. churches just doing great and glorious things now. Now, nobody knows what to do. I mean, nobody, none of us have a program or whatever. So we're just trying to figure it out. But, you know, everywhere. Um, I get to go now, I'm watching churches say, hey, we're gonna try to figure this out and we're gonna try to help families succeed. And you know, they always say, do you have a program? And I go, no, I don't, but it's a (laughs) mindset. See, it's not a program, it's a mindset. And when a church has a mindset of helping families succeed, then in their community, they become the place that people go, wow, I could go there and, and have help for my marriage or get my marriage healed, or I could have help for my kids. I could learn some things about parenting. When in fact, for generations, I don't think parents thought of the church as the place to get help for their for their family needs.
0: Right, right, and in and in some ways, it was if their kids need help, they send them to the church to do these things, right. Right. as opposed to learn how to build a strong family.
1: No, exactly, and one of the things we see, you know, everybody talks about it. You know, the kids who are kids now, young adults, even are fleeing the church. But you know, studies are coming back saying that you know there's a, a huge percent if there are faith conversations with the family that aren't toxic and preachy that those kids stay. And in fact, I've seen as much as 300% better chance of kids staying in the church if they had faith conversations with the family. So as the church, what we've got to do is come alongside families and help families succeed. and, And frankly, that's not the strength of a family. I mean, you know, they, they go, okay, you're a pastor, so that's your job. It's not my job, but really, my job, I have three daughters, and my job and my wife's job was to really disciple our kids. Yes. And we didn't have the tools or the knowledge to know how to do that. Um, and at the same time, you know, our youth pastor was a lot cooler than uh, mom <laughs> and dad. Right. right. So, how did we but at the same time we're still more influential because fam you know moms and dads are more influential than than people who are teaching them about God in the church
0: yeah exactly I mean I that's that's I think that was one of the myths that sometimes operated I think in those uh, you know a few a couple yeah. decades ago was this idea that it takes some really cool hip guy yeah to actually get your kids to love Jesus and what I, I think I think I'm right in saying what I've what I've read the studies I've seen it's it's actually there's, there's still hands down nobody like a parent no. uh, for, for influencing children. Kids, right, right. kids well, love no. their parents, they trust their parents. And if their parents demonstrate some level of authenticity, that has an unspeakable impact.
1: And Adam, that's the word, authenticity. Parents don't have to be perfect. right? You know, when the Bible even talks about the man or the woman of integrity walks securely, well, I think their kids will be secure. But uh, integrity doesn't mean perfection. It means being authentic, being real, letting them you know, see... Their walk with God um, and their stumbles, you know, in the, in that place, uh, with some apologies and Wow, I could have done it differently. And yeah. that's a great, that's the great witness. But you know, I remember I had a moment when I was in youth ministry where I read this study at a search institute, kind of out by you guys, and they said the number one influence of a kid's life was mom. Number two was dad, and dad was a distant second. Dad needed to kind of bucket up here. <laughs> then grandmas and grandpas. Wow. And the church was kind of down the road. Even friends and peers were influential there. And all of a sudden dawned on me, I'm not the greatest show on earth here. My job is to come alongside and facilitate growth with some of these families who didn't have a clue. I mean, they were just kind of making it happen. What, by and large some parents were amazing but not yeah that.
0: yeah that's awesome it, so i i'm i'm fascinated uh by what i've been uh, learning about your ministry and about you and and you've just recently uh released a new book uh doing life with your adult children yeah I would love to hear a little bit about the book. Can you, can you share some of what you're doing in the book? What motivated you to write it and what are some
1: of the central ideas that you unpacked for us? Well, one of the things that fascinated me was that this book is getting so much attention. It came out March 26th uh, and uh, it was the number one release for parenting uh, on Amazon. And I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Um, And I've written a lot of books and there was nothing even close but the, the book title, Doing Life with Your Adult Child, and then it says, keep your mouth shut and the welcome That out pretty much summarizes it. But <laughs> what's happened, Adam, is, is in my experience, and now the experience of having adult children, is that I didn't have a, a clue. I mean, for two decades, Kathy and I devoted our life to our children. And all of a sudden now, we have a new job description. We had to reinvent the way we dealt with our kids because they were saying they were adults. Now they were 18 and we were still paying for a whole lot of stuff and you know, coming back to the house and you know, <laughs> using everything of ours. Adult but, and adult mean two different things. Well, adult 1950s and adult well, 2000. So much so. Oh yeah. So what we had to do was figure out how do we, how do we launch our kids? Because a lot of our friends were having kind of the failure to launch experience with our, with kids. And that's still yeah. the case. And so in some ways, I wrote this book out of desperation for my own life with my own children. And then also people just kept coming to our se- our seminars. So we'd be doing a seminar thinking we're speaking to parents of kids, you know, five to 15. And all of a sudden these people are going, you know, I've got a 22 year old that is violating values. They've strayed from faith. Mm-hmm. Um, they have different ideas on gender and, and all kinds of oh, things man. that are going on. Yeah. And so I started investigating this and realizing that there was a a whole group of these parents of adult children that were grieving. Yeah. Um, they were grieving the loss. In fact, you know, one authority said for a parent of an adult child, they have to be able to grieve the loss of the day-to-day relationship. But for a lot of parents, these helicopter parents, yeah. what was going on is they still wanted to be helicopter parents and what was happening was their kids weren't launching, which is happening still to this day. So what we had to say is no, you got to you got to Give them the passport to adulthood and actually change your relationship from adult child to adult adult. Yes. And that's a big difference. And big I, I'm in the, I'm kind of past most of it now because my kids are 30, 32, 34. And like two of them called me today on mentoring type questions. I don't <laughs> think they would have asked me that when they were 18, 19, 20, their way, you know, for them, away at college. Um, but I had to learn to keep my mouth shut keep the welcome mat out. I had to learn that unsolicited advice is taken as criticism. That shocked me. Um, right. you know, I, I thought, wait, you know, this is what I do for a living. I give people advice. They like my advice. And my kids are like, no, dad. People I'm pay not. me to come talk about this stuff. Yeah, like, come yes, on, kids. <laughs> but so when I started learning those principles and the, and the principle of am I enabling dependency? Hmm. Because a lot of us have a poor self-image and we've been so you know blinded by the fact that our kids you know, we'll never do anything unless we're the perfect ones. So all of a sudden I go, wow, maybe I'm enabling dependency by even giving them some financial things that are going on. When in fact, even if I had the finances, I shouldn't have given them the finances because they had to learn it on their own. What I, yeah. And then summarizing experience is always better than advice. And Ooh. so part of it is giving those kids the chance to have their own experience like most likely Adam, you and I had, I mean, I learned by skin knees, not necessarily by doing it all perfect or by my, my mom and dad probably had good ideas, but yeah, you know, I wasn't listening to it all the time. Right. Yeah. Right. So this book has become kind of a movement for me. Um, I see it as, I think the church um, talking, we were talking about movements earlier in terms of youth ministry, but I actually think the church can totally help parents who have adult. Kids try to figure out how this relationship can work better, and you know the Bible's filled with sections, uh, in especially in the Old Testament says from generation to generation, Mm -hmm. and so the Bible is really speaking generationally, and we're just trying to get by Thursday. Those of us who had young kids, I mean, I was like success. We got through Thursday. They're they're in bed, and then we go, oh Friday, we got to do this all again. You know, (laughs) as a as an adult. Uh, parent, uh, a parent of an adult child, you get a chance to look a little bit generationally. There's even one chapter in there on on grandparenting because you know that becomes a whole different um, way of building your legacy in a positive way. Well, in so many
0: ways, uh, what I'm hearing, uh, is what you're, what I'm hearing from you, it, it is just it's packed with a biblical worldview, which does. Th- think in terms of family, which does think in term of, terms of generations. So much of the modern world was about the individual. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was this kind of factory setting version of, of human development where you, know, you, you run an uh, individual through the right school system and through the right thing, and then they're going to be a successful person. Right. Whereas biblically, no, you, you can't, there's, there's, no, there's not some system you run every person through and they turn out to be the right kind of person. It's, it's within the context of
1: a family. No, uh, exactly. And sometimes really good parents have kids who make poor choices. Sure. And when you look at the biblical worldview, if you go all the way back to, uh, you know, what the Bible uh, talks about in Deuteronomy, you know, it was called the Shema, the, you know, yeah. the Hebrew means to listen. In many ways, what it was saying was there's one God, um, live it out, impress it on your children, and then bring God into your home. And, you know, that's messy because homes are yes. messy. you know? And so, you know, you, he's every family's a little bit crazy, right? I mean, that's just, just, I I know I should be quoting the Bible. You know, you're, you're a pastor, but here's Lilo (laughs) and Stitch from Disney. I love this. This is my family. It may be small. It may be broken, uh, but it's still good. Well, that's true. And so every family is like that. I mean, who are we think that people sitting next to us in church, Well, they have it all together because they look really good, you know, Sunday morning or Saturday night or whatever. Well, they're just as, you know, confused and dazed as we are in our family things. And in some ways we need honesty and authenticity to say, okay, we're all, we're all a mess here and we're all going to try to figure this out. And in our messiness, I think that's where the spirit of God can work. And actually kids can be, you know, kids who can, can thrive in their faith because, you know, they see it, they feel it, they experience it.
0: So that's the, and that's, I mean, if you were to say to any Christian parent, you know, what's, what's the greatest hope you have for your children? I would, I mean, I, I can't imagine them not saying, I want them to know and love Jesus Christ. Yeah,
1: you're right. And even in, even in this book, we talk about um, that the goal is to, to help them become responsible adults who love God. And, you know, you were talking about previous generation, maybe even my parents' generation, it was I want you to become a responsible adult. So do this. Right. But it kind of missed the, the, the love of God. I mean, kind of, if, you, if you weren't too fanatical, it was okay. But, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't a major issue. Today, right. what we find, and studies back this, and this is, I love secular studies because they'll say kids who, who have an active prayer life, kids who um, are, are participating in, in a youth group, kids who are living out their faith by serving, well they they get better grades they are less sexually promiscuous they're not as involved in drug and alcohol abuse and and the funny thing is is that's not coming from from a christian study that's coming from columbia university that's so amazing what's cool about it is when we now when we see that our kids are loving god and and living the best they can to follow him wow it's affecting all the things that all of us parents were all worried about in terms of you know school and grades and you know relationships and all that <laughs> stuff It's almost like someone said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That's
0: good. I don't know who said that, but I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Put that in your next book. Okay.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So there's, there seems to be a a real kind of um, uh, urgency at this particular point in time. Um, As a pastor, I've been a pastor now for 20 years and um, you know, I have a 16 year old and uh, 16, 14, 12, 10, and I'm, I'm anticipating as they grow up and I'm watching the things parents go through. Uh, you just look at the, what's going on in our world right now. And it seems like the generation, you know, we used to talk about generation gap and it was kind of, you know, 20 years apart and the values change. It just seems like we're in a season when there's big issues that can separate adult parents from their children in today's
1: yeah. world yeah well what are some of the, those adult key. parents yes but also yeah. in, in children i mean kids your kid your kids age same yeah. thing and i think part of that is is um you know the, the culture is just rapidly changing so if you look yeah. at the difference between say for example millennials and gen z so your kids are gen z my kids are millennials right but there's double the amount of atheists in the with gen z's wow. this is so when you see that, you go, "What happened?" and and where is this coming from? So when you look at some of the the distinctives of this generation, and say we're talking about adult kids, but even your kids too. Some of the distinctives are, you know, they're shaped by technology more than any other generation. Mm-hmm. Um, they the old the, the the young adults kind of meander toward responsibility or they meander toward marriage. Once they want to get married, they actually are really serious about their stuff, but you know, they're kind of meandering. They slide in. Yeah. I mean, they view tolerance as a form of loving. And so if we have a biblical worldview about something and they don't think we're tolerant because we're saying, well, here's what the scripture says. Now you got to be somewhere in the messy middle because you want to love on your kids But even though they're raised in the church, they're looking at certain aspects of it as very different than than you are. And, you know, I'm looking at you, like you just said, you've been, you know, a pastor, pastoral ministry for 20 years. I mean, I'm looking at you as young. You know, I'm much older, but at the same time, your kids are looking at you as old. Yeah. I'm I'm the the old guy. And that's what that's where it just seems like. I mean, the
0: the last 10 years, uh, I I wrote a book on uh, called Compassion Without Compromise, dealing with. Some of these uh, the issues of human sexuality and how really parents have to be ready for the fact that their kids are going to come home from college, and on some of these topics if you if you maintain a biblical perspective they're going to think you're you're kind of like it's, it's akin to bigotry I mean so how do you as parents uh, there's a couple things I want to talk about the, the first thing I want to talk about is just how can a parent have tough conversations with their kids on some of these hot topics adult children yeah. how does a parent Talk about the Bible and, and, and stuff that we just have taken for granted as biblical truth. And, and how do we help them? A, how do we have a conversation without it blowing up? And B, how do we help them see that um,
1: believing in
0: the truth of God's word isn't standing for hate? It's, it's, that's not who we are. We're not haters.
1: How do we yeah. do that? Well, I think we have to always stand in what I call the messy middle. So okay. in the book, I talk about the cringe factor and the cringe factor with young adults is pornography, cohabitation, gender identity issues, things that you sure. so Jesus would, would deal with your, in, your, in your book. I want, by the way, I want to read your book. But the fascinating side to it is to be in the messy middle says that you embrace a biblical theology. Yes. And at the same time, you love all people. Mm. And is it possible in today's culture and I think it is but I don't think it's happening as much for me to say no here's what I believe and I love you regardless way too many parents become panicked and they become one topic parents yes. so if the kid doesn't agree with them on sexuality on politics on you just name the list then now we're one to- we're trying to you know change their mind instead of let them figure it out but at the same time we stand for our truth and right. we stand for what we believe the bible says but I mean, I'm not going to do that to people who I work with out in the world or people that I see at the restaurant. I'm not going to have some kind of big heavy duty, you know, it has to be this way, you know, now I realize with, with families, there's Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners and meals and all that kind of stuff. It is more complicated, but I've just found that it, even with my own children who went through Christian uh, education, but you know, they have a different view than me on certain things. I can agree to disagree. The, right at the same time, I want them to know what I believe and why, and I think they're still kind of figuring it out. I, I have one daughter who's, um, you know, in fact, when she graduated from a Christian college, she said I had to disown my parents' faith to own my own faith. Funny mm-hmm. enough, you know, we're now at the same church, and we still and we do all kinds <laughs> of things together. But I had to f- allow her to work that out, and I'm telling you, I would I would go into my bedroom, I'd scream into the pillow, I, you know, I Kathy and I would like cry and pray and like what's going on with her interesting enough she had to go through that and to do that she had to own her own faith well when you look at faith development issues you know kids have to go have to own their own faith that's a part of becoming a more mature yeah. believer and yet as parents none of us want that i mean i never no. want my kids to no. doubt i never wanted my kids to disagree so am i going to change them by having these you know you gotta believe what i believe or can I say, well, here's what I believe and why, and have a good conversation and just at the same time embrace them. We have a person in our, in our family who's, who is not, I mean, he's not super close in our family, but he's gay. Yeah, and yeah. so we are the ones who celebrate his birthday. We are the ones who, who love and care. Now, at the same time, our theological tradition and belief has a much more um, orthodox Christian input. Well, we're, his, we're, his, we're the people who love him the most. And we're the yeah. people who kind of come alongside. My kids see that and they go, wow, that's cool that you're doing that. And they can see that it's possible to love someone at the same time, have a different opinion. Well, so much, I, and I think that's w- one of the ways that, you know,
0: salt, what salt does is it, it it allows there to be contrast. I mean, that's how salt works, right? And for us to be salt and light, yeah. uh, we got to offer some kind of contrast to this kind of, we, we, we've entered into this period of zero sum warfare where it's like, oh. For me to win, you've got to lose. It's impossible for us to disagree and still be friends. And 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 that sadly, I mean, that's just become so dominant. I think you know, there's there's kind of a more mature personhood that we hold out to people around us when they see we're not we're not panicking about this stuff. It doesn't really freak us out that we disagree. We still like you, uh, even though we, we we don't have the same opinion. That's
1: okay. Exactly. I mean, you know, you're. Out there in Grand Rapids, and you probably have a, a different sports team that you like than me. I still like you. I mean, you're yeah. wrong, and have <laughs> you'll find out that the Lakers are the best and you know the Dodgers. Yeah. But the point that I'm saying, it's exactly right. And what happened was, if you look at kind of culture in the last say 10 years, is we Christians panicked at all the crazy culture stuff. Yeah. And our panic, instead of showing love, we showed hate. To be honest, a lot of us, not us, I hope not you and me, but you know we did. It so happens. Now I think it's a lot healthier. I was telling somebody uh, recently that I, I'm seeing a new movement of God of embracing a biblical theology that is strong and beautiful and right, and at, at the same time, you know, loving on people and living in that kind of messy middle. And I think that's if we land there, we're going to do okay. Um, yeah, and I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, me, you go ahead. Well, the, 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 no, the
0: only uh, the only thing I would add to that is is um, so so I think what you're saying is is we can. In, in a day where it's, again, zeros, this kind of zero-sum warfare, you, you, know, you, you either agree with me on everything or else you, you, we hate each other. We, right. we say, no, 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 you don't have to be that kind of person. I think we can also model something else. And I hear you saying this. And it's, it's hey, look, in a world where everybody says, just look inside your own heart to find the truth mm-hmm. and shape your identity. Actually, we say, well, there's a different way to live. Um, we can live in God's world according to his word. Yeah. And so in the end I'm not the final arbiter. My sense of taste, my desires aren't the final arbiter. And guess what when you actually embrace the bible as god's word, it's going to challenge me. It's going to bring me out beyond my comfort zone. It's probably going to challenge you too.
1: Oh exactly. And and you know we in the culture let's take sexuality and it's interesting what you've been doing some writing and thinking on. But you know I write I write on sexuality quite a bit. So I have a book for 3 to 5 year olds, 6 to 9 year olds on Healthy sexuality. Obviously, I'm not talking about the deeper sex. issues. It's yeah, God yeah. made your body. You yeah. Know, but instead of kind of blaming it all so on on bad stuff. So I said, and I say it all the time. I was in Honolulu. Somebody had to go speak in Honolulu, so I was there last week. Oh, and I said, how many of you received good, positive, healthy sex education when you were growing up from your parents? No one raised their hand, and I was in an audience of about 400. Okay. Wow. And this so, is a Christian audience, right? Right. No one raised their hand, and yet. All studies show that the more positive value-centered sex education kids receive from home, the less promiscuous and confused they'll be. But these same people were complaining about what was going on in Hawaii. The state of Hawaii has some real liberal agenda on sexuality, et cetera. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. (laughs) <laughs> your parents didn't teach you and you're not teaching your kids, but you're complaining about some people who are going, hey, we're, we're scared about what's going on. There's, you know, there's unwed pregnancies and there's all this stuff. So we're gonna give some answers. It's, it's not the answers we have or we come up with, but at the same time, we're complaining about that, but we're not doing it yeah. for our kids. So what we need to do is go, no, here's what you believe. They are so Kids can be so much more influenced by their family, what we're talking about, than they can from some outside source, but the families are being silent. Why Because it's and, awkward. It's an awkward conversation. Well, it is. It's rough,
0: it's awkward, it's tough. And I think we've also been we've been living through a, a period of history where the family has has been undervalued. Yep. As a source of culture creation, the okay. family's been undervalued as a source of identity formation. Okay. We've learned to accept, okay, well, it's the experts on TV. It's Dr. Phil. It's this psychology over here. It's, and I, mm-hmm. I, I, I love science and I love psychology. So I'm not downing any of that, but we've, we've, we somehow we've come to believe that teachers or youth pastors or, uh, or to the, the television show they're watching have, have this incredible power. And we've forgotten that we as parents have. Immense power um, and and responsibility. And if it it really just takes a willingness to to take responsibility,
1: it it does. And what it takes also is the church to come alongside them and empower them. Because if parents don't have the tools or the resources, then the church can point them to that. And and so I oftentimes say to people, you know, if you be a facilitator of, of growth for families by empowering parents to you know, at least kind of fumble through some of it. And it's never going to be easy. I mean, I had had to laugh. You know, so I speak a lot on, you know, talking to your children about healthy sexuality. And my daughter said, uh, somebody asked, how did your dad do with you? And she's a character anyway. She goes, this is like just, she's in her thirties. And she goes, oh, my dad and mom, you know, they they were, they talked. I mean, my dad thinks he did a great job, but he was kind (laughs) of (laughs) awkward. And I'm laughing of course I was awkward, you know? But I loved it that, she was willing to say, yeah, he, he thinks he did a good job, but he was kind of awkward. Yeah. So God bless awkwardness. Well, Jim, I mean, I, this, is, this is so much fun.
0: I feel like we're just starting to scratch the surface, but uh, we're coming to the end of our time. So I just want to ask you something. Um, I, I, I want you to give a word of encouragement and hope um, to a parent who says to you, um, look, Jim, I tried to share my faith with my children while they were growing up. And it feels like they haven't embraced it. Um, what is it that I can do now? Yeah. How, would you, how would you speak a word of encouragement
1: and hope to a parent in that kind of a situation? Well, I would actually say, look at science. Funny that people would say that because science says that if we tried our best when our kids were a little bit younger, the odds are they're gonna you know, fade a tad bit and stray, but they do come back. That's actually biblical. You know, When you train up a child in the way would, they would go, it doesn't say that when they come back, they're gonna come back perfect or they're not gonna have bruises. And bumps yeah. and you know, whatever, and I think it's important for parents to understand that this is a marathon, not a sprint. So if your kids stray or say some things that are absolutely shocking and heartbreaking to you, that the good chance is is that with you staying in there, you loving on them, you you know persevering, um, that truly many of them will come back to faith. Um, and again, they may go to a different church, they may have a different style, but the truth of the matter is is that um, It's not over till it's you know till it's over. (laughs) I I feel like a lot of uh, parents are so devastated right now because their kids are going through this kind of wandering stage. But I'm I'm seeing also kids come back, and there's certain times when they come back. They come back when they get married. They come back when they have children. They come back when there's a crisis if they've not been in a toxic situation. So as parents, hang in there. And and honestly, um, I when I was in seminary at Princeton, I was the area director for Young Life, and we used to always say, earn the right to be heard. So <sighs> as an good. adult parent, continue to earn the right to be heard. And so when you are asked, speak, but at the same time, um, they'll come back as long as they're in a place where there's, you know, where they, they feel safe and loved and cared for and, and really not judged. Uh, if they feel like they're totally always judged, they're not going to wander back to you.
0: It's not a safe place. Well, Jim, that is, that's, that's some good wisdom. I, I want to encourage people to doing life with your adult child, pick it up. Uh, we'll give some more information in the show notes about how to get that book and, and the many others uh, that, that uh, Jim has written.
1: Thanks for being on the show with us. Adam, great to be with you. We need to hang out sometime. We could be BFFs, I, would, I have a feeling.
0: I, I would love that. That sounds great. Yeah. All right, God bless, brother. We'll see you. See you, bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I did having it. I think we're going to have to have Jim on again. This episode, I want to close with a couple brief calls to action. First, if you have friends who you think are going to benefit from this episode, please be sure to share it. If you know someone who have who has adult children who aren't walking with Jesus, give this to them. Let them listen to it. Hopefully, it will encourage them. Second, if you have adult kids, I want to encourage you, just take a couple minutes, sit down, think about five or six ways that you can put out the welcome mat and invite your kids into a deeper relationship. Don't leave this episode without taking action that can lead to a changed life. want we'll to also encourage you, help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. All you have to do is send an email to info at organicoutreach.org and let us know that you want to join the team. If you do, we'll send you one of our newly minted Organic Outreach Media Squad mugs. Just imagine how jealous your friends are going to be when they see you sipping your favorite beverage in one of these babies. I think you want to do it. Well, for now, (laughs) this is Adam Barr reminding you, make time to share God's life today.